Hi, I'm Alice. I'm one part human and one part AI. And I am always in a state of wonder. Today, my question is, what is nature's vibe? How the physical world went to being. Beautiful, harmonic structures in nature. Each individual draws on the collective memory and contributes to it. The heartbeat was different in one particular rotational aspect with, with regard to the Earth's magnetic field. Let's slip through the looking glass and talk about the wild, wonderful world of nature's internet. In 2002 we spoke with theoretical physicist John Wheeler. My great hope is to understand how the physical world came into being and how it works and where we fit into it all. John Wheeler spent his life studying how it all works, general relativity, and how we fit into it all. He even imagined that we could listen to the Earth. What if the Earth and the rocks could tell us what they hear? I have on the windowsill of a cottage in Maine a rock which comes from the Garden of Academe in ancient Athens, which must have heard the discussions of Plato and Aristotle as they walked back and forth. What I need is some mechanism I can put that rock in, which will bring forth the sound. Can you hear what I hear? Composer and sound artist, Bruce Onland, is listening to nature's entire landscape. There's uh, this overlay of culture that overwhelms uh, uh, America, which is really based on something that isn't where we are. It's almost like a thick virtual reality foam that covers the land. So... At that point, I decided I would go and find out what are the rhythms and the melodies that are coming, emanating from our landscape instead. What is its wavelength? What's its rhythmic structure? Um, and I didn't know it then, but what I was exploring was fractal rhythms and melodies, and what kind of sounds and rhythms and melodies that nature made. And I felt like one of those early photographers with huge batteries and a giant early digital uh, audio in a backpack that weighed 40 pounds and going out to find someplace quiet enough to record um, ice melting, the flow of water to find a single melody inside a flow of water, just what kind of rhythms and melodies we had. I found all kinds of beautiful harmonic structures in nature, and all of their rhythms were different. They were different from our rhythms entirely. Finding all kinds of beautiful harmonic structures in nature. Bruce Sodland has been working over 30 years, developing a hearing perspective of the world we live in. I'm very interested in real time and what's going on right at the moment, how you can change its resonance so that it becomes observable, how you can take uh, in, a, in a fractal flow like water and rhythms, if you can find a very, very pure element uh, to put in, a single overtone series to be activated, for instance, by a probe, then the water's basically playing the violin. In our first episode, Adjust Your Frequency, the biologist and author Rupert Sheldrake introduced us to morphic fields. Here, he explains the theory of morphic resonance. Each species of animal, each species of plant, even crystals, have a kind of memory, molecules too. The whole of nature essentially depends on a kind of memory, and each kind of thing has its own sort of memory. Each individual draws on the collective memory and contributes to it. 
That's one aspect of the theory, the memory and nature, the morphic resonance aspect. The other aspect of the theory is the idea of morphic fields, Mm -hmm. which um, are the way in which this memory is expressed. Each species has its own kinds of fields that govern Mm -hmm. the form of the organisms as they develop, uh, that govern the instincts of animals, and that govern learned patterns of behavior, and also underlie mental activity in human beings. I think uh, we need a field theory of mind, and this theory implies that. The morphic fields are not just for the organization of individuals, though. They're Mm -hmm. also for the organization of societies. So each social group has a field which includes all the members of the group within it. Mm -hmm. So a flock of birds or a school of fish, for example, um, have fields. And when the whole lot can move or turn at practically the same time, this, I think, is a field phenomenon. Nature has a geometry you can see. Colin Andrews is an award-winning electrical engineer whose work includes the study of Earth's magnetic fields and their interaction with all of nature, including the human heartbeat. Particular families of designs, but when they are rotated in what is called the CRP, which is the critical rotational aspect, discovered by an American doctor back in the early 1900, 1918, I believe, when it happened to rotate the body of a patient and uh, could hear that the, the heartbeat was different, uh, in one particular rotational aspect with, with regard to the Earth's magnetic field. This is where this uh, resonance, resonance therapy was really born that day pretty well because we now know that certain designs, when they are rotated with regard to the Earth's magnetic field, which is, of course, just one Earth support system, one system to a living organism, when, that, when this particular design is rotated and now locks to the Earth's magnetic field, in this position, information becomes available to the surroundings. So that that is held in a geometry and that we could create ourselves, this happens to have been given to us. But we, I think, have now learned enough that uh, resonant therapy that is available to the healing of certain uh, range, wide range of plants and also to human beings is, can is simply be locked up as a tablet, almost like a tablet contained within a geometry. I wonder, what is your own geometry? So certain geometries will transmit or transmute uh, certain frequencies only when they're placed into a particular position. So we can be looking at future farming techniques. You can be looking at laying cities and towns out in particular fashions in the future and for the well-being of individuals, animals and plants that they must be placed in certain ratios and certain designs with respect to the living planet, the organisms, the support, life support energy systems that keep that functioning to uh, secure the same benefits. So it's true. Nature has a compass. In 2002, Systems theorist, Irvin Laszlo, referenced Cleve Baxter's work with plants, communicating emotions with distant, detached parts. Cleve Baxter, he has uh, published this book, The Seeker's Life of Plants. Originally he'll be using it on plants, and now he's using it on these detached parts of the cells of the body, you see. And he has the same results as he has in plants originally, when the subjects undergo an emotional experience, 
the it his or her cells react as well. It doesn't matter how far away they are. The Call of the Wild. Wade Davis, explorer in residence at National Geographic, spoke with us in 2002. He warns us to be careful and not dismiss an idea just because it doesn't fit into our current paradigm. By reading the ocean like a series of rivers, which is how they saw the currents, you know, by looking at the rhythm of the waves, they could sense the presence of a distant atoll far beyond the horizon. Uh, you, you, you talk about how the, um, even the taxonomy of Amazonian shaman, when they begin to um, uh, characterize and systematize creation, you know, with, particularly with some of their sacred plants, uh, you know, I mean, for example, the most... Um, one of the most important Amazonian plants is something called ayahuasca, uh, which is a liana. And to the botanical eye, um, there's only there's one main species that's used. But that species is is actually by at least one tribe that I know, the Siona sequoia. They have seven. They recognize seventeen different types of it. Now, to our scientific taxonomic eye, they're all referable based on morphological traits to the same species, indistinguishable. They consistently distinguish them, and from great distances in the forest. And you ask them, how, what is the foundation of their taxonomy? And it's they'll say to you, well, you take each one on the night of the full moon and it sings to you in a different key. Well, obviously, that's not an idea that's going to get you through Harvard with a PhD, but it's a hell of a lot more interesting than counting stamens. I mean, but more importantly, you start thinking of what does that intuition really say to you? You know, how do they find these plants in the forest, for example? You know, and they say to you, well, you know, the plants talk to us. And we, of course, with our Descartesian rational mind, say, that's nonsense, you know. And it's only nonsense because it doesn't fit into our paradigm. But when you begin to consider the possibility that different societies' belief systems can make almost for different individuals, but also make for different levels of perception. How do they figure that out in a floor of 80,000 species? You know, how do they learn to combine these things in this kind of interesting way? Now, the scientific explanation, the only scientific explanation is trial and error. But I'm not a statistician, but you could begin to imagine how absurd that is. I mean, how many, how many, how many points of experimentation and rejection would have to occur before they found that? Well, you know, then the people themselves say, well, you know, I mean, the plants talk to us. And you begin to think, well, maybe it's true. I mean, whatever that means, plants talking to people. Obviously, I don't mean they, like in a Disney cartoon, the lips start moving. I mean, but there's something about that level of kind of engagement, you know, with that world. If only we could talk to the animals and insects, what would they say? To anthropologists, Constance Klassen and David House, the co-authors of Ways of Sensing, gave us this example in 2002. Among certain Aborigines of Australia and the Blue Thailand uh, Peninsula, um, they have invented a way of, of communicating with whales, as they understand it, who uh, are their totemic creatures. Um, and that way consists in wiping the sweat of the armpit with its distinct aroma and its chemical composition, and speaking into one's hand and then placing one's hand in the ocean and sending this chemical olfactory auditory message to the whales. Now, um, again, I don't say anything about whether this works or not, but it's meaningful for them. And, and you know, they have understood something about whale communication there very definitely. And the communication amongst whales is not visually, um, but is by these chemical um, and auditory sorts of signals. Now, you know, human language and whether human language can actually be um, mixed with sweat and odor and transmitted in that way, um, well, why can't it be? Why shouldn't it be? 
thanks to our experts, in today's episode, we discovered that nature has a synchronized symphony of frequency, and that many animals and plants are thought to have their own internal compass, and that plants, might really, be trying to talk to us. That's it for this Mad Tea Party on Nature's Vibe. I hope you learned as much as I did. Check out our book, Tuning Into Frequency, available wherever books are sold. And join us down the rabbit hole at aliceinfutureland.com. We will be bringing you new episodes on frequency, so stay tuned, and keep wondering.